Welcome to the Mind on Recovery podcast, formerly known as Mental Breakdowns podcast. This is the, our first episode of season two, which I am ecstatic to show you guys. Um, where the, our guest right here is Dr. Natalie Pearson, a a a, a mentor of mine, and just um, I don't know the the little nuggets of information, little droplets of gold. <laughs> that are in this conversation uh, are priceless, and I want to stop talking so you guys can hurry up and listen to it. So, uh, without further ado, uh, our season two opener of Mind on Recovery podcast, uh, featuring your host me, Zoe, and Doctor Natalie Pearson. Enjoy. <laughs> Right, welcome to the Mind on Recovery podcast. See, I switched that up. Uh, This is the first episode. I'm your host, Zoe, and here with me today, my guest star is uh, one of my mentors, uh, role model, and just all around black queen, Dr. Natalie Pearson. That is awesome. Thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you. Um, Super nervous, so I just wanted to put that out there. Me Uh, too, so that's okay. Right. I did some some grounding, as I told you shortly before this. And I'm just trying to I just like chanted back to myself, you know, this is this is for fun. This is this is to help people um, and just be yourself. I'm talking to myself. In this. So. <laughs> well, I'm glad because I actually needed to I needed to hear that, too. But I I also wanted to just thank you for providing me this opportunity, you know, because I think this is a topic that. Um, not a lot of people really think about when we think about recovery in terms of like racial racial oppression, racism related trauma, other reasons why you know people of color um, can be using you know. So I'm really really excited and I'm so grateful that you um, invited me. So thank you. No problem. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> so. Just to get started off, um, could you please give us like a a, a short synopsis on your professional background and how you ended up in the uh, psychology addiction medicine field, just for those who don't know? Awesome. Yeah. Uh, Let's see here. Um, Well, let's see here. I am born and raised in San Jose, California, and um, my sister... Uh, is mentally ill and she started um, having symptoms when I was in high school. And that's when I first got kind of like really into psychology. I took my first psychology course um, class in high school. It was like my senior year. And I was like, oh, wow, I really, really like this. Just fascinated with the mind and how uh, it works and how sometimes we could think things are happening to us and they're really not just really fascinated by all of that. And so that was like my first spark. Then I got to college and I thought I was going to major in psychology and that did not work just because my 
you know, psychology tests are like, you know, experiments in themselves sometimes. <laughs> My grades were not the best, yeah. um, but I was more interested in sociology, which is like psychology of society, right? And yeah. so I majored in that, minored in ethnic studies, worked in the HIV and AIDS sector when I got out of college, um, and was always in some way, shape, or form um, working with capacity, whether or not that was my position. Like somehow I was counseling people. Um, and so, I mean, even if I was doing something like, uh, what was it, admin assistant to um, the HIV Health Services Planning Council, like I was still somehow working with people in that capacity. So I decided to go back to graduate school and really I wanted to just... Um, not just, but get my master's in social work. And a friend of mine said um, that they were applying to graduate school at the same time and that they were applying to doctoral programs. And, you know, I just remember like, oh, I can never do that. Like that was my right. thought in my mind. Like, oh, wow, no. And I think maybe there's all sorts of reasons, but uh, I always just kind of doubted my intelligence. And my friend... Um, who was convincing me to apply to doctoral programs is Latino. And he's like, you know, um, I'll apply to your first choice if you apply to mine. And I was like, okay, uh, as a way to encourage me. And it turns out that I got accepted to the doctoral program that I applied to and waitlisted for the master's program. So I was like, oh shit, I guess I'm getting a, a doctorate. <laughs> right. Yes, <laughs> it's locked in. It you was <laughs> right. It, it, I, it was completely by accident, actually, that I that I got this doctoral degree. You know, I just wanted to have the receipts, which is what I call my degree, to mm -hmm. to work with my people um, around you know racial oppression. And my focus going into graduate school was around internalized oppression. Just for me, not that the school offered a program like that. That was just my personal <laughs> focus. And um, graduated, went to school, got bit by the trauma bug, meaning like I started working people that were trauma survivors in my, uh, like all of my training settings, my pre-doc settings. And it wasn't until I graduated that I, um, and years after graduation, that I got hired at Kaiser in the addiction medicine and recovery services sector, like not really, um, not really thinking about it, but was like, okay, like this is an opportunity to work for Kaiser. And also I was kind of burnt out from trauma. Um, yes. I, I love working with trauma survivors, but sometimes, you know, it takes a long time to see folks get better and, and it can be hard, you know, so I remember I came to Kaiser San Francisco and I, I stepped into my first group where I um, like shadowed somebody and I was like, oh my God, I'm home. Like I get to, this is it. This is it. This is it. Um, just that I get to work with people around reconnecting to the truth of who they are, you know, and um, it was awesome. And so I've never looked back and I just, I love working in addiction medicine. Yeah. That's uh, one wow. Mm. Two, it's like really <laughs> inspiring. Um, just 
it's really inspiring to me uh trying to trying to take from my own experience and that like i don't know exactly what i want to do right now i don't know where the destination is i don't even mm-hmm. know what it looks like anymore i thought i had such a grasp on it and now i'm just like i don't know and um I'm starting to be okay with that, but, mm-hmm. but just hearing your, your story, um, it sounds like it overall is okay and it can still end up really fine. <laughs> just oh my fine. God. Yes. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I didn't go back to graduate school until I was 27. Um, and yeah, I didn't know a lot. Of, I, I hate to say that, you know, that I was one of those people that just kind of fell into things, but I didn't know. What I did know is that um, I was constantly following my my intuition and also approaching my education with um, like, well, let's see, you know, like just being yeah. willing, willing to take those steps. And it was damn, it was really scary, but I'm so glad I did because um, it just really, I, I was continuously like opening myself up to new things. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. You're, uh, you had some faith on you, Missy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then, yeah. but let, let's be real. Like, I also was in therapy myself. Like, even before I went to graduate school, I oh. was seeing a psychologist, you know, for all of my issues. And mm. I had been seeing her for probably three years. And she had told me. Um, you know, Natalie, I think you're going to be, you know, a healer in our community. And I was like, what is she talking about? What? Yeah. Bola is so <laughs> crazy. But um, it's like, I'm so grateful because my friend's first choice was the school that she went to. So I felt like, okay, yeah, I could, I, it's not like I just blindly chose like the first choice. Like I did have some association with it. Um, yeah. Yeah. So just be open and willing, you know, see where the journey takes you. Right. Journey this is. Mm-hmm. Um, w- when you're talking about like uh, leaning more towards uh, uh, subjects of race and racial oppression, uh, I kind of I want to use it as a segue into my next question. And in, mm-hmm. in the could you explain because I also didn't. Uh, have any idea of this uh, prior to maybe a year or two ago, but could you explain the importance of identity and mental health in particular with persons of color? Right. Ooh, ooh, yeah. Well, first, like, when you say identity, do you mean racial and ethnic identity or? Yes. um, I was kind of meaning, I was kind of like, and all enveloping like like sexual identity uh yes race identity just identity in general mm-hmm. like knowing who one is right. and how how important that can be right you know and so i'm so glad that like we're talking about like specificity and also like intersectionality right because when you say yeah. identity i'm like well what well which one cuz we <laughs> have several you know yes um, yeah but identity is is basically like you know it encompasses different roles it's it's how we feel about ourselves what we um you know how we associate uh ourselves with um various different groups 
sexualities, gender, like there's so much, um, you know, I have multiple, you know, identities that I am holding, right? So I'm an African-American woman, I'm heterosexual, I'm a single mom, I'm, you know, um, you know, um, someone who struggles with like mental health, um, I'm a dark-skinned African-American woman, like all mm-hmm. of those things um, come into play when I think about identity and more, you know, I'm, you know, on the larger side. So there's, there's a way that I identify with size. Like there's just so many different ways that, um, that you can think of identity, but basically quick and dirty. It's like how we move through the world, um, and what we accept about ourselves in these various different roles, you know? Yes. Um, and listening to you fire off those, uh, I don't want to place any, I don't even want to fall into that man telling woman what <laughs> they are, <laughs> but I think you left out statuesque. <laughs> um, yeah. You can't see me do a hair toss. I'm like, oh yeah, that's what I meant about, you know, a larger woman. Yeah. Like, you know, voluptuous. Yeah. yeah. Like, you know, I'm not a small woman. I'm five ten <clears throat> pounds. You know, but uh, yeah, I'm not I'm not a tiny thing, and so yeah, definitely size uh, like has is part of my identity. You know, um, yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't think I was thinking of any of those. Yeah, not not like on the top level, maybe subconsciously, but I wasn't thinking of any of those identity layers if you will while i was in my addiction mm-hmm. um i don't know what the hell i thought of myself as uh, it, it, that, that's how f- much the disconnect was there <laughs> between me and the world at large right. um, i knew i was in it i knew i was doing stuff in it but i just i really didn't know my place or my groups even mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. yeah i didn't grow up with my black side uh, I grew up with my Samoan side, so I always felt like there's a there was something lost there. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I feel like I'm just getting that back now and starting to feel or find out what what uh, I don't know what being black is all about. Well, <laughs> I feel like yeah. I'm going to say the wrong thing, but yeah, just getting more in touch with that side. Absolutely. And so like I could even hear in what you're talking about with your identity, it's like you're a biracial, you know, male, right? And so it's like holding, you know, your Samoan side, your, you know, um, African, African-American? Yes. Yeah, African-American side, um, you know, and a lot of times, you know, especially with folks that are biracial, multiracial, it's like being forced to choose and yes. and it could be all that and then some, you know? And so I think you mentioned this piece about like when you're you when you were in your addiction, not really thinking about identity. And that's because, you know, I mean, there could be several different reasons, right? But right. also the piece around that addiction kind of wipes out our identity. Like all of that seems to get erased and we are just thinking about, you know, the next high, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Getting that need met. Right. 
And Vore did it. Yeah. Did I get it, Matt? <laughs> right. At the same time, I didn't. Right. Yeah. yeah. Like that, that, that proverbial hole trying to fill. I just, yeah. Right. Uh, could you please go off, so to speak, <laughs> what the kids are saying on, uh, on, on racial oppression and, and, and how it relates to addiction? Ooh, can I go I off? Can I kick it? Yes, I can. I'm mean, so yeah. The racial oppression, you know, so an area of interest of mine, just oh, professionally, you know, um, what led me, you did ask me that in the beginning, like what really led me to the field. And of course I talked about my sister, but what I, I think that led me to my love of psychology, but what led me to like wanting to pursue a degree was working with um, I was already kind of doing these informal like sister circles um, with black women around a form of internalized depression called colorism. And it was, you know, um, small groups with light and dark skin, you know, mm-hmm. African-American women talking about our experiences um, with this thing that we have internalized as if it is our own that has impacted us for centuries and really um you know, gotten in the way of us connecting with one another with, um, you know, it's allotted privilege. It's like, you know, it's done all sorts of ways that it's caused division amongst us as a people. And so um, that kind of was, you know, and always being, having the experience also growing up um, of being acutely aware of race. Like I've always been aware of the fact that I am a black, you know, woman. And not only am I a black woman, but I'm a dark skinned black woman. And not only that, I, you know, grew up in, you know, a predominantly white, you know, neighborhood and was always usually one, maybe two, um, you know, black students in the classroom. So racial oppression has always kind of been at the forefront of my mind um, and my experiences. And so racial oppression, of course, right, is when, you know, someone is feeling, you know, inferior based on being made to feel inferior based on, you know, their, um, their ethnicity, this fucked up idea of race, um, which, you know, as you know, is, is a construct, but so much is built on that construct. And within that is that one race is superior and that, you know, um, one is inferior. Um, but of course it's stratified, right? Anyways. So that's like racial oppression and it comes out in all sorts of different ways. It comes out in institutionalized racial oppression, like where we buy our homes and like what we learn in school and yada, 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 right? We all know this. We all know this. Um, But then how does that like connect with like addiction? And then a lot of times when I'm working with black and brown folks, um, you know, and and other folks of color, a lot of times there's this element um, that sometimes is not, there's no space to really talk about it in the rooms of mixed company, um, but there's an element of like using to tap out of the pain and the stress of daily, like in so many different ways, racial oppression. 
with those microaggressions? Microaggressions, macroaggressions, aggressions, aggressions, you know, (laughs) gaslighting, just there's so much, right? And um, I know I'm speaking in very, very general terms, right? Because if I were to go into more detail, then we'd be here talking just about those experiences. But I have realized um, in my work that a lot of times, you know, um, folks of color are using for multiple different reasons, but that's part of it. Um, And it could be racial oppression through economic status or, you know, um, so many different ways. I was just thinking about, you know, um, folks that are like, you know, usually the only ones in certain like corporations and so forth, the work-related stress around being you know, the only black person having to hold your face a certain way, hold, like make your voice an octave higher. So you're not Uh aggressive. Like that is emotionally taxing. And so smiling, yeah, smiling, watching everything that you say, being aware that you are being watched and you are a representative for the entire race, you know? Um, So that is like just one example of how someone could get mentally worn down, you know, and look for escapism. Um, and then there's so many other ways too, right? Yes. Um, a lot of other ways. Uh, I, I know I, I asked about racial oppression in regards to addiction, but um, mm-hmm. I also want people to know it's just not, it's not just uh, drugs and alcohol we're talking about as like the the primary escape route and there's also food Absolutely. sex uh uh, uh, uh tv mm-hmm. <laughs> um just any Games. any other yeah being a gamer right, binging. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah just forms of numbing out absolutely and mine was food right so even before i became you know um a psychologist that worked in addiction medicine like i i had actually been in the rooms but i had been in the rooms for um, food addicts anonymous and overeaters anonymous. And I had gained and lost a hundred pounds a couple of times, right? Like when I look at all the times that I have like lost like 30 pounds here, 50 pounds here, like that easily was way over a hundred pounds. And then I had, you know, weight loss surgery and then lost hundred pounds again, you know, but it was all around um, eating and emotional eating and taking in the sweetness, because I have a huge sweet tooth, right? Taking in the sweetness, the comfort um, that I wasn't getting outside, I was ingesting it, you know? Um, And I think a lot of, you know, uh, folks do that and don't even realize that that is because trying to numb out, you know? I'm just staring at the half Oreo milkshake on my desk right now. <laughs> Damn. Well, you are all, you and your what sweets. Is, I, you know. What does it all mean? What does it all mean? <laughs> yeah. But you know, it's like we know when we're using something addictively, when we're using it to like, you know, replace like actually feeling the emotion or like, you know, because I, I don't want to feel this or or I want to, you know, I need liquid courage or whatever. You know, that's right. always a good thing, as opposed to like treating yourself to an Oreo milkshake. <laughs> I'll leave that where it's at. Okay. <laughs> I'm really interested in uh, how this 
hell of a pandemic has affected your work and and the patients that you treat like uh are you seeing a rise with anxiety depression Mm -hmm. um, trying new approaches cutting slack for people or no yeah um the pandemic has been really hard for us therapists um it's because so many people are in need right it it started off with you know are we going to be in this for like two weeks? <laughs> Here we are. Are we coming up on the, I think like the anniversary is like now, right? Yeah, it is now. Yep. So here we are a year later and um, it's really like people have just folks that haven't normally engaged in, you know, like drinking, you know, addictively or, you know, the, have come into the fold, right? They've noticed some unhealthy patterns. And then folks that um, have issues with substances, but like, you know, um, aren't working a program or whatever, like, you know, their symptoms have definitely, you know, shot up. So we have like a lot of folks like that are like acute, right? Meaning like they're having issues like right now. Um, and And this has been a pervasive thing it's not like the stress of the pandemic has like you know it's here and it's gone like it's been pervasive over the past year people have lost jobs homes you know um lives lives. shit excuse me people have lost (laughs) lives loved ones um and there's the grief and the loss and the stress of that um constantly people have to adjust to having like everybody up in their face all the time nobody's leaving or people are like isolated and so um and it's scary it's scary out there so it has meant that um we've had a lot of people you know struggling and uh You know, I placed people in residential care and at, and at one point, one day, I remember I placed like seven people, um, me and my coworker placed seven people alone on one day to put them in residential rehab. Because then it's like, we're asking you to get sober, but you know, the things that folks used to do like pre-COVID yeah. would help them, like going out to meetings, like being with company, um, they're doing that all online. So it's like everything has shifted and still continuously in the backdrop is this thing called COVID um, that, you know, you got to watch, you know, how, you know, what you touch or, you know, of course we know that the wash your hands and hand sanitizer, but it's distressing sometimes when I leave and I just see everybody wearing a mask, you know? Um, so it has made it's definitely been um, that folks are really, really struggling with the weight of it all. Um, and also the fact like the loss, the grief, the isolation, you know, it's a lot. Um, it's like a, uh, it's, it's like a silent type of scary. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like it, There's nothing like nothing's exactly on fire anymore. Uh <laughs> Uh, mm-hmm. with California but <laughs> like, it, literally it, on just fire. Like, right <laughs> but there's just like this underlying like 
Man, shit is really serious. I feel like we're in a real like fragile point just everywhere, the economy, government, uh, how we're so uh, polarized. And it's just this underlying tension. Like, I really hope this does not break (laughs) or snap or anything like that. And I don't know, thus far, I've just been trying to, I don't know, I got to compartmentalize it. I got to compartmentalize it to just keep on doing my day job Mm -hmm. and moving on as if nothing's really changed, even though the entire opposite is more true. Yes. And, and then even more so, right. Is um, like, then you add into the mix dynamics around racial oppression, right? Like access to, to vaccines and like, you oh, know, well. and beliefs about that for us as people of color, you know, we have a history of, you know, um, you know, not being able to trust the medical field. And why is that? Mm -hmm. You know, because a lot of times they haven't had our best interest in the past. And so, but, you know, also realizing like the whole world child has stopped. So um, this, these vaccines, you know, not to get into like my soapbox about it, because I, I, you know, I know I did it for myself, but for others, you know, um, I don't know. (laughs) But like, it's, it's, it's a lot, you know, you see who, even in the beginning, who had access to like knowing that they were COVID positive, right? It started with the celebrities and it's like, well, how come they got, yeah. you know, and we don't have tests in our neighborhood. All of that comes down to some way, shape or form racial oppression, you know? Um, so it's like the acuity is there and, And then there's also like the ways in which things get played out, not to mention like we've just had a lot in this country within the past. I mean, it's always there, but it has been upfront in our face, you know, with um, police brutality, the killings of, you know, black and brown men and women and lack of accountability around it. Um, just a lack of accountability around racist shit happening, like what happened on January 6th, that totally, some folks are like, wow, no, that's really sad. But th- I don't think people realize that when I've spoken to like my patients, right? When, when yes. a lot of us have saw that happening, it was like very scary. It was like, well, fuck. You know, what's going to happen to us because we would never be able to get away with that. And it looks like, you know, nobody cares. There's no accountability. And so that that also adds to um, people feeling like, what's the point? Right. I'm glad you mentioned that, too, with the, with it being scary, because I remember peeping it at work. They uh uh, some participants at the news on in the rec room and I just you know just like was walking by and I was like what the what what's going on mm-hmm. here and just looking around and everybody was still uh just like kind of docile like in their normal and I was just like I was just like kind of shitting bricks <laughs> in my head I know I had to keep it together being staff and whatnot but I was like, is anybody else seeing this right now? Right. Um, I think it, that was the sentiment for so many people. Is anybody else seeing this? <laughs> Hello. Yeah. Um, God. Okay. So I know I've seen um, some pieces throughout the year that this pandemic's been going on around uh, uh, like 
the, the, the rates of drinking and drugging going up and the number mm-hmm. of overdeaths going up and just mental health in general going down. Uh, have you noticed the shift overall, not just during the pandemic, have you noticed the shift with uh, mental health going more quote unquote mainstream? And mm-hmm. do you think there's more to be done in getting the word out? Yeah, I've been noticing that. It's been really, really interesting um, to see such an acceptance um, around mental health, especially for, like I said, you know, um, people of color in our communities, because there's such a stigma, right, Um, in a lot of communities of color around, you know, seeking, you know, uh, therapy and so forth. But I think, like, so, yes, there's been a lot of, like, hard things, excuse me, coming out of, um, it's been really hard in the pandemic, but then the the silver lining is that for some folks, it's like, yo, I have to get help because I can't keep doing the same thing over and over again and expect a different result, right? The definition of insanity. But also, like, there's only so much smoking you can do. There's only so much drinking you can do. There's only so much drugging you can do. There's only so much fucking you can do. There's only so much eating you can do. If you have learned nothing during the pandemic, it's like, then pretty soon that gets, you know, old. And then it's like, I need help, you know? Um, And so, yeah, I, I definitely feel like there's been such, like, really positive messages around therapy. That's something that I like about this generation. It's like, yeah, go to therapy, get a therapist. And I'm like, all day. (laughs) I'm, I say it all the time. I'm a therapy junkie. I like doing it. I like being in it. I like individual. I like group. Like, how can I go deeper about Mm -hmm. myself? (laughs) You know? Um, So I'm glad that, that that is starting to happen. um, And that there's such like, normalizing of it and why not because we deserve a space for healing that's really what therapy is it's a space for you to kind of look at yourself and and work on like how can I move past these painful points in my life how can I um change the narrative about you know, what I was told about myself and how can I really mm-hmm. see the truth of who I am, learn how to tolerate difficult emotions, set healthy boundaries with people in my life, you know, break out of relationships that no longer serve me, all of that. And all of these things that I'm mentioning is stuff that people use behind, you know, so come on right. to therapy and get you some free. That's what I call it. Get oh. you some free, you know, set yourself free. Um, the the yes because i'm seeing a lot of celebrities talk about it uh like i said seeing it a lot on a lot more news pieces and then i've also heard in, in numerous interviews like oh we didn't used to we used to not talk about this back in my day and stuff like that like back mm-hmm. in the 60s 70s and of course i wasn't around then um but god i can only imagine what it was like back then when when I don't know if there was there a word for depression uh, back in the 50s and anxiety and uh, bipolar and schizophrenia, you know, and stuff like that. Most I, definitely. Just, it, that was there. It's just people, oh, people were okay. so shameful about it. Right. And it was like more so called instead of bipolar it was called a nervous breakdown, um, oh. you know, and, you know, and for housewives, like, you know, all their anxiety and all of that, they just said, you know, here's a nice little uh, pill for that. And it was like, 
perpetuates. Right. You know, or um, you're feeling depressed and you have low energy. Well, here's like, you know, um, some legal math. I don't know. <laughs> but that's, that's the stuff that was going. It was more so that people just didn't talk about it or when they did talk about it it was a it was like oh it was just that one incident or like oh you know right. and damn sure that's when I'm talking about that I'm talking about like that's how it was talked about in white communities and black and brown communities in the 50s and things like that it was just like you know um I mean sure People got, you know, maybe the person like was dealing with depression, but there really wasn't space for us to go to see a therapist. Like that's a luxury, yo. Like it's still a luxury now. Yes, I I used to. I used to think that. uh, Yeah, years ago, I I always loved the the idea of going to a therapist or seeing someone of that field but i just always had these preconceived notions that it was mad expensive so i just never looked into it and and then come to find out like oh my insurance pays for this shit (laughs) (laughs) you mean i can actually yeah like yes and so then you get to it's funny how people kind of stumble into it um but it's so worth it you know just to have time devoted to you um, and to have somebody who's non-judgmental um, and, you know, just holding you, holding the truth of who you are. And also, like, especially what I love about addiction medicine is that um, it's a little bit more direct, you know, like yeah, it's a lot more of calling, you know, there, there's lots of things that go into it, but like, I'm going to hold a mirror to your behavior and I'm going to ask that you, you know, um, hold yourself accountable. Um, and so there's a lot of, um, it's more direct, you know, in addiction medicine, because they know time. If you don't get it, then sometimes, <laughs> you know, this is the sad thing. Like this is life or death, you know? Yeah. Oh, that, that's a good point. It is. I, I never thought of it like that. I guess it, it could be, or is direct in a lot more ways than someone maybe not dealing with addiction. Cause you know, I, I don't know. I feel like once you're in recovery for a bit of time, um, you get with the status quo, the status quo being looking at your behaviors and, and patterns and, and stuff that other people may see as like getting called out on, but it's, it's, it's something that we need to get called out on. So we can uh, at least start addressing it and, and changing our behavior mm-hmm. and attitudes towards it. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Looking at our behavior, you know, there's the, you know, when I talk about this, there's the abstinence piece and so forth, which is incredibly important. And then once, you know, folks, you know, have some abstinence. It's like being able to do some, some deeper work around and why the hell was I using, you know, what was I trying to cover up all these years? Because when you get sober, that shit is still there and it requires your attention. Hello. Yeah. (laughs) So being able to find a safe space (laughs) to like, really like, uh, explore and, and, how do I deal with this? How do I clean up the chaos of, of like, you know, addiction? And how do I deal with these underlying emotional issues? You know, how do I relearn how to be in the world? 
Right. And that shit takes time. I just yes. had a cousin asking me yesterday uh, that I haven't seen in a while. Like, oh, okay. So yeah, you're still sober. Like, how does it feel? Uh, you feel free, like clear headed. And in my mind, it was really hard to answer that because it's like, yes, I am clear headed and I'm, I'm on my shit, so to speak. But at the same time, like you're saying, like all that shit <laughs> that I was trying to press down, um, uh, the majority is still there. Yeah. Like I'm still working on it. I'm still chipping at mm-hmm. it. Yeah, I still feel uncomfortable in my own skin. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not just a, a wave. A wand wasn't waved and it all disappeared. Like it's, there's still so much work to do. And of course I couldn't say that <laughs> like a little answer. They'll look at me crazy. <laughs> like I'm um, sober, but I still got issues. Yeah. Right. I mean, it, yeah. And so here's like the beautiful thing is like, and then in, in in therapy, I hope like, you know, you get to learn that, like, guess what? Everybody has those issues, right? And everybody's struggling to, to like, you know, um, accept themselves or fi- feel like they're worthy, you know, um, of the life that they want. Um, everybody is struggling with in some way, shape or form because that is part of life. Like it's not part of life for us to just feel like, we got to be happy and like high all the time. Like that is some unnatural yeah. shit it's called <laughs> balance, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so like, if that means that that's going by that theory, right. That there is like, what goes up must come down and vice versa. Then I want to learn how to like ride through these difficult times and get the message that I need so that I can apply that to my life, you know? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, while we are going away from the mainstream question, Oops, uh, sorry. What, no, you're fine. <laughs> you're fine. This is gold. What do you think would help turn around? Uh, I said media flamed. I've never heard that phrase in my life, but I just made it up. I like right, it. What, what, what do you think, right. What do you think would turn around media flamed stereotypes of a quote unquote addict? or quote-unquote drug abuser or quote-unquote junkie. Oh, wow. That's a big one. Um, Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about, right? Like folks just being judged by their behavior, right? But not like like getting like a good understanding of like what the fuck is really going on, right? Um, Right. And like you're right, like in media and movies and things like that. Yes, it's yes. A constant um, demonstration, especially for black and brown people of color addicts. Like it, mm-hmm. it's always like you know this, like you know, crackhead or dopamine <laughs> or you know. Um, but I think like what could change that around is like more. Um, stories being told about the different um, dynamics going into like addiction for us and people being shown like um, about shown like, you know, what is really going on underneath these behaviors and that addiction is way more than just the behaviors that people are judged by, right? Like understanding a little bit more that it's not just about like, you know, lying and stealing and this and that, you know, um, but that's what happens when things have gone 
way far, right? That's what happens when the, you know, in your brain that the substance has taken over and, and like hijacked your brain, your critical thinking. And so I think if people understood a little bit more about, you know, what the physiological pieces of it, but then the social aspects, the societal aspects of it, um, I think that could help. But like, I'm talking out the side of my neck, right? I'm like, it would be great if they showed and great if they did that, but there needs to be, you know, um, you know, who's going to like green light, right? Green light. (laughs) I used a term that I didn't know, but I feel like that was the right one. It it was the correct one. Okay. You know, and that has a lot to do with like, you know, um, just Hollywood, the entertainments, like, and social media, all of that, like, what they are putting out there. And it's like, there's, there's stories to be told that show the addict in a more comprehensive view, you know? God, you're so right. You're so right. You knew that. I knew that, but I had to just say it. You're right. Um, I know it. And I know I, of somebody <laughs> who would be like great to do that work. I don't know. Oh. Somebody who I'm talking to right now. Yeah, I was thinking it right now, but then I was like, stay present, so stay present. <laughs> Remember your training. Um, so I had a, yeah, I had an aunt um, who, to my knowledge, was just uh, alcoholic, <laughs> but I ended up living with her. Now, beforehand, beforehand, before I lived with her, uh, you know, I used the term crackhead and, and junkie and whatnot, but we're just going to sp- focus on crackhead for right now Mm -hmm. yes see people that i don't even know if they were on crack calling them crackheads Mm -hmm. or even just in my mind internalizing oh that's a crackhead um until i lived with her and found out she herself was uh smoking crack Mm -hmm. uh and very much addicted to it and it just it it threw me for one because it's just like here is this lady that i love with all my heart and, you know, we, we crack up, she can sing, uh, vocal cords kind of damaged, but she can sing, she's funny, <laughs> outgoing, all these things going for her. Um, but she's also addicted to crack cocaine. Mm. And, and I just like, I couldn't, I couldn't, I was thinking I couldn't bring myself to call her a crackhead. Mm. Like it just, it wasn't fair, you know, right. uh, knowing what I knew about her uh like you were saying like like i had a more comprehensive understanding of this human being a humanizing perspective right right because isn't that the other piece about it that um and it's not you know like for the addict like there's this piece that like that and and this is true like we say like oh that's not that's not um who they are that's the substance right but also and that that is true but then there's also this way that that idea can, you know, be some way of like separating like the, the human that is suffering. Right. Like folks right. don't oh, see God. that piece. They don't see the suffering, you know, um, and like knowing the totality of like your auntie and who she is and, and you know, how much, you know, um, she loved you or loves you and, and the experiences you've had with her and that there's this thing that she's grappling with. I mean, um, cravings and all of that is so like, that takes up so much space in your brain. 
Like it's hard um, to let others in because you're grappling with, you're suffering, you're suffering. Right. And we, and usually others probably just think you're, we're having a ball. Right. <laughs> and maybe some days we are, but right. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, I think I mean, initially that's how it starts. Right. First it's, and it's so yeah. like, you know, um, uh, you know, Kaiser adolescent program. Right. And this is where I got this from. Like first it's fun, then it's fun trouble, it. and then it's just okay. Trouble. Hello. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> Oh, I love that one. I love that one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm going to pull us out of this. Uh, what are you doing to keep a level head and press on through through these trying times? Without getting too detailed. I want to respect your privacy. My, my privacy. Um, <laughs> I don't have a lot of privacy either. I'm just a big, like, mouthpiece. No. Um, I... Uh, you know, I really, like I said, I really, really do enjoy my work. I do have a tendency to be a bit of a workaholic. Like I was going to meet up with a friend today by the lake. And I was like, well, I can do it after 2.30 because I've got a patient. She's like, uh, on a Sunday? I was like, yeah, girl. Right. <laughs> so um, <laughs> I am learning. Um, one of the things that's come out of the pandemic is like I, I really have enjoyed like when I do meet up with people like it's intentional. And so like I do something like hiking, walks. I love to walk. Um, even if it's just like, you know, walking my dog for like up the blocker, it's a little bit of like a, a break in my day because it can be really intense. But when I'm walking, I'm also like really trying to take in everything that I'm seeing and practicing a little bit of some grounding techniques, you know, like really focusing yes. on what I'm seeing, what I'm hearing, what I'm physically feeling in my body, you know, all of that. Um, but then like baths, I do a lot of spiritual baths. Um, and that's like baths with like Epsom salt, a little bit of like pink Himalayan salt. But then I put, you know, um, I actually order like spiritual baths from a friend of mine who creates them and it's special herbs that are for like, you know, um, spiritual cleansing and like removing negativity or opening the pathways for me, opening the pathways, like, you know, to remove blockages. And so that's yes. been good. Um, chopping it up with friends doing like, you know, some zoom meetings you know with my girlfriend so i can see, we can see everyone um yeah and then spending time with my son we've been doing lots of really nice things like at the marinas there's so many here in the bay area like that's been one of our things like let's go to this marina let's go to that marina and walking by the water just i really try to like be in nature in some way shape or form with somebody because that way I'm like connecting with spirit and I'm connecting with spirit through relationship. Oh, I love that. I love that. Yeah. So that helps because, you know, we're dealing with so much. Um, January 6th, I'll tell you, there's been two days during the pandemic that have been really, really hard for me. Um, the orange day, remember the orange day? 
Orange. Day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was nuts. <laughs> <laughs> there, with the, the day the sun didn't rise. Right, right. And who knows? Like you know, who listens to your podcast? Like maybe they're way, like you know, way out there in the ether. But there was a day. Was it September? Oh God. I don't, I don't know. know. Sometime yeah. in the fall. Let's do that. Year. Sometime in the fall. Right. It was during California's like lovely fire season that we have now. Mm-hmm. We're going, we're getting ready to head into like our fourth year of this craziness. Um, thanks, global warming. Um, and so, like, the day, like, there was so much ash that the day was like orange and like it was dark and it was like apocalyptic. So, that day stands out in my mind. And then the, the other day was January 6th, right? When, um, white right. supremacy. White supremacy showed their you their narrow behind, uh, <laughs> and those days were like really hard. And I think what I did to kind of keep myself grounded was like, I mean, I know the orange day. I just like really talked to my friends and hugged my son and like, you know, read books and just really tried to um, stay grounded, you know, um, with just being with my loved ones uh, in any way I can. And then with January 6th, yeah, it was a lot of like, look at this shit and like talking it out um, with my community because I I had to find my sources of support around that and that's definitely like you know I have some really good girlfriends that do similar work to me and like really just processing that like and knowing that I wasn't crazy by what I was seeing and what I was feeling Um, fear is real around that yeah Mm -hmm. okay yeah I'm gonna I I still want to take I want to try to steal your uh, walking in the woods one (laughs) Like nature, yeah, getting, getting, I just want to amend it to just myself. I don't know. Is that, that isolation No, I mean, I don't always walk with a friend. Like sometimes I do, but uh, I mean, a lot of times I do, but sometimes I do it by myself. Um, yeah, here's the thing, like you get to follow your intuition and know what feels right for you. Um, okay. Of course, I'm always going to, you know, if you have a tendency to isolate, like maybe, Every other time, you know, you do it. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, All and right. like, there's so many parks around here. Yo, like, so many trails and parks in the East Bay. It's amazing. Yeah, uh, yeah. I did. I didn't know that a few years ago. Um, I had a pretty narrow, uh, uh, stereotypical view of the East what? Bay. You know, I just hung out in the peninsula. Yeah, I was Shame like, I don't get shot over there. I don't. <laughs> there are a lot of gangs. Or something. You know what? And then, like a few, a few years ago, I came and I seen like nice neighborhoods. We were over there by Lake Merritt, and I was like, oh, they got some pretty uh, neighborhoods around here. It's not. East Bay is not so bad. And then, uh, yeah, the trails and then the mountains. It's gorgeous. Oakland is gorgeous. Let's just be specific. I mean, there's lots of other places in the East Bay, but Oakland is gorgeous. We have our hot spots, no doubt. But um, (laughs) we also have quite a bit of, like, amazing, like, nature, like, you know, Redwood Regional Park, um, you know, and, and... and then I always say, like, to those folks that still want to think a certain way about Oakland, cool, stay the bleep out of Oakland because I'm trying to buy a house. Right. 
And I need the prices to like not go up anymore, but I don't know if that's <sighs> wishful thinking. Oh, I want to, uh, I want to go down the road with that yeah. one, with that, with that. But uh, I want to be also be respectful of your time. And so I, if I could just ask one last question of you before I call it a of wrap. Of course. <laughs> What would you recommend for anyone else listening, anyone else interested in keeping a level head and pressing on through these trying times? Mm, like some good coping skills? Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think like always. So the thing is, is like I think sometimes folks feel stress and and we like to talk ourselves out of it like oh it's not that bad or oh I shouldn't feel that way because like in in comparison to other people it's not that bad and what I say is like you know it's all relative and like you know you are having your experience um and so like one like not to deny what's true for you um, and try to explain it away or like make it seem like you're not deserving of taking up space in that way. Um, and, and then like, there's so many ways right now that people are accessing help, right? There's so many ways that you yeah. can do therapy. You don't have to do like, ain't nobody going into nobody's office. So just know that. So there's <laughs> plenty of ways to do telehealth, um, of course, like you can contact Kaiser in the Department of Psych, but you don't have to. You could like, you know, find someone, um, you know, there's several different like um, app. Psychology Thank Today. You. I was going to say app, Psychology Today. Um, there's uh, therapistofcolor.com. Um, That's actually like real. You can look for folks that way. Go to a freaking meeting, yo. There's an AA 12-step, not AA, but 12-step program for everything, including like, you know, there's Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous, Marijuana Anonymous, Debtors Anonymous, Under Earners Anonymous, Food Addicts Anonymous, like, you know, um, Sex and Love uh, Addicts Anonymous. Like, there's so much and ways that you can start to create community, you know, for your, find your people. Um, so I'm always yes. talking about going to meetings. And if meetings aren't your thing, you know, start within your own your own, this is an old school word, word, your own Rolodex, you know, start within your own, <laughs> like, you know, contact, scroll through and there find you your sources of support and contact them and say, like, I just need to, like, talk to you or talk to someone. Um, yeah, don't be afraid to ask for help um, because it is a trying time and you're not alone. You're not alone in how you feel about this pandemic covid like you know racism people getting killed like yes and so how do we make it through we make it through with one another and getting connected to you know our people oh you're ah! amazing <laughs> Stop it. oh god i want to thank you one more time for joining us um uh that's that's a wrap for our episode. We'll see you guys in two weeks. Uh, I'm your host, Zoe, and this is the lovely Dr. Natalie Pearson. Oh, thanks for having Thank me. you. Thank you so much.
Ooh, oh, oh. I bet you thought I forgot. No, I couldn't forget the bell. That, uh-uh. The bell is back. And so is the podcast, Mind on Recovery. That was our season two opener with guest Dr. Natalie Pearson. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed that as much as I did. Um, we are officially moving to bi-weekly drops instead of an episode every week. It's going to be an episode every two weeks, so uh, I don't run myself into the ground. And in two weeks... Let me check on my handy dandy calendar in two weeks uh, on March 28th. We will uh, drop our next episode number two with none other than Mr. Fred DeBose on the topic of meditation. So hang tight. Continue to send me any questions or uh, topics that you might think are interesting to record or discuss on. And I will see everyone in two weeks. Namaste. Peace. Thank you.